This is a Federal News Network podcast. Hypersonic projectiles, missiles moving at five times the speed of sound, have become a high priority across the Defense Department. You've got two basic ways of getting projectiles to go that fast. One is the electromagnetic railgun. The other is the use of what planners call air-breathing engines. And those are the topic of a new effort at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Project manager Andrew Needler spoke with Tom Temin. I think the new frontier is actually putting it in a small form factor than we've been able to, I think, in a long time. So you are correct. Way back in the sort of the late 40s and 50s, did a lot of research in the area of ramjets where we're just compressing the air, adding fuel to it, and combusting and expanding the air, making that vehicle go. So, I mean, if you're really a history buff of aviation back, uh, I think in the 60s, something was actually fielded called the Bomark missile, which Boeing and Michigan, I think it was Aeronautical Research Center, put together. And what we've been trying to do ever since then is create really a ramjet and then a faster, what we would call a supersonic combustion ramjet, where the product's of the fuel and the air, the oxygen and the air, are combined at supersonic speeds. So that's what we've been trying to do in our project here at DARPA called the Hypersonic Air Breathing Weapon Concept. So this would be then, if you will, a miniaturization of what has been developed earlier so that it's more practical. It is more practical, at least from my perspective, and we're able to look at a little bit faster speeds than those ramjets were going, uh, certainly greater than Mach 5. And then what we would like to do with those designs, of course, is create an engine that would ultimately be reusable. At this stage in our demo, we are looking at just something that's one way so that we can put it in a missile form factor. And the use case then is an air launch. Is that what you're driving at? That's what we are doing right now in our demonstration. So we need to boost the sort of the front end of our vehicle up to a speed where we can start the scramjet, which certainly means that we're going pretty quick. So we use a rocket booster for that. Okay. And so that's the air breathing engine, in other words, part of this. Right. So the front end, the second stage is the air breathing part where we're using the atmosphere, the oxygen in the atmosphere to combine with a fuel we bring on board as opposed to the booster, which is a solid rocket motor where, you know, it carries the oxidizer and the fuel all together. Okay, now I get it. And then let me just ask you this. The whole idea of the hypersonics, as we understand the current discussion in policy and weapons development, is something that operates in the atmosphere because... I mean, satellites have always been hypersonic, but they're not down here where they're useful as weapons. Fair way to put it? That's a fair way to put it. And what I can say is, yes, we're in the atmosphere for these particular demonstrations that we're doing with DARPA and the Air Force Research Lab. And while you're developing the engine that pushes this thing, are you also working on the shape of the projectile? Because I imagine the ability to get as fast and far as you want would depend on the shape of it. Exactly. So when you mentioned before, hey, what is new about this, we've been able to use, you know, advances in aerodynamics and computation to actually create a vehicle that doesn't have much drag and allows us to use these scramjets, which are smaller than what may have been used in the past decades. So it's very important for us to test so that we can go back and verify our computer modeling codes that we're doing it the right way and reducing the drag as much as we can.
We're speaking with Andrew Needler. He's a program manager for the hypersonic air breathing weapons concept at DARPA. And you've mentioned the word scramjet a couple of times. Just give us a brief explanation of scramjet versus ramjet. Sure. So scramjet's part of an acronym, of course. So the S is supersonic. And the uh, combustion is the C part, and then we just add ramjet there. So what happens, say, in really in any type of engine, you're, you're compressing your oxidizer and your fuel together, you're adding an ignition source, and then when you expand, or when that combination expands in some type of detonation or explosion, you're going to convert that thermal energy to some type of power thrust or other type of work there. So when we look, or if you would look at, a, say, an airliner engine, it compresses air in a certain way. It uses the jet engine blades in a mechanical way to compress that. So if you go fast enough, you don't have to have any moving parts. The air compresses naturally through a tube, and then you can add the fuel, and you get thrust out of the back. So once you go fast enough, your air is going to maintain a supersonic speed, and then you have to mix things and light things and expand it all in a very short amount of time. So simple to say, but it's a lot of very close engineering then, isn't it? It is. And one of the things we really worry about is heat in all of this. So when, when we're going that fast at the hypersonic speeds, we have to manage sort of the, the heat on all surfaces, whether it's inside the engine or outside on the vehicle itself. Yes, yeah, so that was my question. What is your major technological or engineering challenge here? Is it the design of the engine? Is it heat management? Is it aerodynamics? Or is it how all the equations work together in a finished system? I think there's a little bit of each of those things that you said in our challenges. So certainly we have used the information on the last sort of two big X-plane successes in the hypersonic world, the X-43 and X-51. We've improved our manufacturing capabilities. In other words, we can figure out how to cool the vehicle the right way. And then we're always getting better at verifying and validating the computer codes that we use to do the design. And what are your major metrics then for knowing this project could be something producible? So when we started the program, we had certain goals, of course, to improve upon what had already been demonstrated under previous X-Plane programs. So we wanted to go faster than Mach 5. We wanted to go farther than uh, 300 nautical miles, and we wanted to go higher than 60,000 feet. So that's what we were able to demonstrate in our most recent flight test demonstration just back in March. And how is this all getting accomplished? I mean, does DARPA have a fabrication facility? Do you contract it out? Because you've got to make these things and then launch them and hope for the best. Who does all that machining and assembly and welding? So DARPA is a, we'll call, just call it a project management agency. So we come up with the ideas and then we get the best and brightest within the industrial base to provide us the actual design and they go out and use their teams to test along with, say, the services aircraft in support. So our teams right now are Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, each producing a different design. This isn't one of those things where some entrepreneurial outfit somewhere that nobody ever heard of can get an OTA and do this? Believe it or not, yes, they could, but have they done it with our program? No. When we set up the program several years back, that space wasn't as robust as it is right now. 
All right, so you have demonstrated then that you can go higher than 60,000 feet, 300 nautical miles at greater than Mach 5. That's actually occurred? Yes, it has. Then what comes next? Well, what comes next is, you know, that's only one data point. So we are trying to conduct more flight tests so that we can learn even more about the vehicles themselves. And then that technology will be transferred to the Air Force for a full weapons development program. Exciting stuff then, basically, isn't it? It's certainly exciting for me and and the teams that are working on this. Andrew Needler is program manager for the hypersonic air-breathing weapon concept at DARPA. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.